Hey everyone, it's Jonathan. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, you'll want to do that now because we're picking up right where we left off last time. The topic is pretty unpleasant, but it's too important to ignore. There's some disturbing subject matter and a fair amount of coarse language, so listener discretion is advised. Uh, I wanted to mention just something that I talked about last episode that I didn't clarify. I'm really lucky in that I come from a place of like a supportive family background, you know, education, blah, blah, blah. Like I'm a privileged individual. And that gives me, I feel like, a lot of a sense of security when I confront people about this kind of behavior. And I think often women are encouraged either to grin and bear it because that's like how you get to be a part of the community or, you know, stand up for yourself if you think it's such a problem. But like a lot of people just don't come, aren't lucky enough to come from a place where they feel like they have the sense of security to do that kind of thing. I get a sense that there's an implicit threat that if you do speak up, uh, if you do call somebody on it, then it's going to become a thing. Mm-hmm. And that could, in many cases, wind up being worse than just grinning and bearing it. Mm-hmm. And wasn't that part of the the blog post was that she had called someone out and then was asked not to go back? Mm-hmm. Which, like, if you are running the risk of losing the thing that you love because you're trying to defend your place in that very thing, a lot of people don't feel ready to take that risk. I think it's also um, when you you earn sort of this place and it becomes... It becomes, you know, there is this this fear of conflict like we were talking about last episode. But there's also this, I don't know, I've definitely had moments when I've spoken to people and told them that, like, that's not okay. And then they make it more of a thing. Like, they really just push you. And it becomes, it's it's gotten to the point where it's become this this scary thing. Where every time you tell someone, oh no, that's not okay. It becomes this, it's become with certain individuals in my life, I've had experiences where they've just pushed me back. And it becomes this like sort of tug of war experience. Do you mean pushed you back in the sense that like defended what they were doing? Defended what they were doing and then put it on me. Oh, yeah. Because it's your fault that your it's friends your are your dicks. Got it. It's, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's it's your fault. and And then, and it gets to a point where it gets scary. And I've definitely gotten to that point. Um... I've definitely gotten to that point with people before. Where you fear for your own safety. I'm sorry, it's like really not worth crying over it. Not worth crying for those people what they did to you because they're not worth it. But you have experiences sometimes where it gets physical. And then it scares you in the future because you don't know if next time you say no, how far it's going to go. So I think people have these little experiences where they see a glimpse of that and all of a sudden it becomes you better not say anything ever because next time you might not walk away from a conversation. So it's sad when you read an article like that where you see how much of a reality that is for people. Um, And I think that that's a lot of the time why 
when people say you can just stand up and say stuff. It's scary to do that. Totally. I'm so sorry that happened to you, Amanda. <sighs> yeah, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I didn't want to cry, but thank you. But, uh, but yeah, it gets scary. Like, I don't like to get into specific experiences, but I've definitely had that before where I feel next time I say no, who knows what will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how do you even, it's hard in those experiences because you still want to be a part of that community and a part of those things. Mm-hmm. But you feel like in a sense, those are the things like, like that officer says to her in the article, where like, if you keep doing this, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a frustrating thing when you feel like there are so many places in society today that women and people of color feel like they can't go because they don't know what's going to happen to them. Mm-hmm. Like people should feel safe no matter what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And if we talk about the experiences of trans people who every time they walk into a, into a bathroom, it's like, what's going to happen here? Yeah. You know, there's all these, this constant mental mental calculus that goes on in the life of someone who experiences some kind of oppression that like every moment or every in any particular kind of situation is this going to be one that i don't get out of Mm. you only have to experience that danger or hear one story about that kind of danger to recognize that implicit threat everywhere from then on Mm. unless you are one of the white male terrorists that the author of this blog is talking about exactly Mm -hmm. so how how i'm just i don't know how it happens that like these stories what are what are the things that go through someone's head when you hear a story like that and you aren't able to recognize your own behavior in that? Well, I think it starts with everybody's desire to think of themselves as being a good person. Mm-hmm. It starts with, oh, well, you're, you don't want me in with those guys. I'm not like them. I would never do something like that. I'm different. And Tips, Fedora. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, the vast majority of us, I hope, oh God, I hope, wouldn't but that's not a good reason to not talk about this that's Mm -hmm. not a reason to say well your experience doesn't count or you should just not worry about it Mm -hmm. because this stuff is happening and people who look like me are doing this and i can't blame somebody for being scared just to see me because how do they know i i think it's probably worth mentioning that um the the kind of guys that this article is about, the kind of guys who are at the center of this uh, this terrorism problem, will look at another white man and assume he's a safe space to be a douchebag around. By default, um, Jonathan, you and I are assumed to be on their side if we don't explicitly say something against it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if this reflects uh, your experience, but when I'm when I'm at work, very rarely does a shift go by without a guy assuming that I'm okay to be misogynistic around. And you don't have to talk to me very for very long or, or know me for very long to, to know that that's totally not how I roll. But uh, as, a, as a white guy standing at the wall of board games uh, being helpful, I, I already get lumped in. And I say that because I'll have uh, I'll have interactions with guys who will ask for a game recommendation, and they'll mention you know number of players and what else they've played that they like and how long they feel like playing for and whether or not they like sci-fi or fantasy or whatever. But then sometimes, not always, but sometimes they will add, oh, and you know, not too complicated because uh, we're playing with a couple of girls. This happens to me 
most shifts, certainly no less than a couple of times a week. Um, the uh, I, I will often hear from uh, from women who I work with that I've taught a game to a table successfully and they loved it, and then that table server will mention to me that uh, yeah I tried to pitch that same game to them and they wouldn't listen to me. Um, Rage. Yeah, or... that happened last night at work. Oh man. Yeah. Um, the uh, um, and and so I think there's this this thing where if you and I aren't actively part of the solution, if we don't actively uh, create the the impression that that shit doesn't fly here, then crappy white men will look at us and assume that that shit does fly here. Speaking on a strictly practical level, on that very specific point, I always bring the games I'm recommending to the table. So I get to pitch them to everybody all at once and get to see their facial expressions and their body language. Yeah, yeah I don't always get to do that. I will say that uh, the last time I had a, uh, I had a couple of guys explain, they, they were super into the idea of a lightweight economy game with, with cool art and whatever, so I showed them Splendor. And then one of them went, oh, the girls aren't going to like this. And I went, why not? Well, I just don't, I don't know. I mean, something simpler. And I went, okay, no, we're going to play Splendor. It's going to be great. <laughs> I went back, taught them. Um, the girlfriend of the guy who, who was the most nervous about it uh, won the game by, like, about the biggest margin you can win Splendor by. <laughs> and uh, the only other person with a score, even in the double digits, was the other woman at the table. Yes. Um, <laughs> and that guy looked me in the eye. And looked real nervous and said, see, just like I told you, I didn't want to play because I thought she'd beat me. And I went, I guess that's exactly what you said. Must be my memory. Have a good night, guys. Um, <laughs> I hope they had a weird conversation later. <laughs> oh yeah. I, uh, the other thing, too, is that it's, it happens where if you have a female guru on and a male guru on, and it's happened multiple times, yep. that you mm-hmm. go over to talk to the people at the wall as a female guru. And... They go, oh, yeah, no, we're okay. Uh, have you seen the guy that, that helps with games? <laughs> and and it's this idea of, like, it's a male exclusive club, a white male exclusive club, where we are gaming and we are white men and that those are the only people that are allowed to game. And I'm like, actually, you're at a board game cafe where when you look around, how many of us are women here? Do you think that we don't ever play board games? Because that would be ridiculous. <laughs> like, it just doesn't make sense. And it's this thing of... Of then you were you're looking at them like okay well you're gonna have to wait for him for like half an hour but have fun with that could have <laughs> if, recommended eight things for you incidentally if if that ever happens when you and I are the two gurus point those guys out to me um, when and if I get around to them it'll go real well <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like this weird echo of the like ask your husband if you can buy this car situation. Like, oh, like, yeah. can you go grab the game guru? And you're like, actually, I am it. So deal. <laughs> I, I am never it because I don't know enough about games to be a guru. And I wish with my heart that every time I got the ask for the guru and like pointing at the dude question, I could be like, it's me. Hey. Yeah. yeah. Someday. Someday I'll know. But it's and it's weird sometimes when those kind of experiences happen, when Guys that I've spoken to about women in in this culture, the guys talk about like, yeah, like I know that women can play board games. Like I get beaten by women all the time where it's like the only time it's acceptable for for a girl to be in this community is when she's like especially good at whatever it is. Right. It's like when you say you're a fan, when you say you're a part of any kind of fandom and they're like, yeah, well, what happened on season one, episode three in the credits? It seems like a reflection of what happens in business, too, in a meeting. Mm. Uh, If you're a woman on the board, you can't make one 
tiny mistake. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, your entire presence there is invalidated. Whereas if a dude slips at once, ah, it's okay. It's just a little slip up. It's mm-hmm. fine. It's mm-hmm. fine. He knows what he's talking and about. And if, you, if you're taking up conversational time, it always has to be with valid contributions. And if it's not a valid contribution for any reason, it's like, oh, God, she talks forever. No? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's it's weird that you have to be the best in order to even be included. Either that or you have to be like the hanger on. You yeah. Know, somebody's girlfriend. Who are you yes. with? Yes. So who are you with? That yeah. You're allowed, you're allowed to be terrible at games in that case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But there's no, you know, just being a player. Yeah. Somehow. You don't, it's, in linguistics, we talk about the concept of markedness and non-markedness, like something being marked. And like, it's typical that the, the masculine form of whatever thing is the unmarked version and the feminine form is marked. So the like default player in a game situation is often a dude and often a white dude and often an able-bodied cisgender blah 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 white dude but like the default player is very rarely a woman unless we're talking about that like cat collecting game which is like (laughs) a whole other story yeah it's also the idea too of uh even in online gaming um there's this idea that like you kind of have to and i i used to online game and i don't really online game anymore um and that isn't necessarily because so much like shit happened to me that i was like, oh, I'm done with this thing. I just stopped online gaming because I didn't want to anymore. But uh, there was definitely a thing where if somebody found out you were a woman, instead of you being like, I'll give you like, you know, you know, three sheep for that wood. They're like, you could trade me a picture of your boobs for that wood. And I'm like, or we could just have a real gaming conversation instead of this because this is awful. The fact that it becomes about that. Yeah. The fact that all, the fact that all of the sudden in so many in so many worlds of gaming it becomes oh you're a girl oh well then now everything's about the fact that you're a girl yeah. and i'm like or it could just be about the fact that we're two people at a table mm-hmm. playing a game it reminds me of uh, tits or gtfo the yeah. thing from 4chan you familiar with this yeah mm-hmm. nope the no. idea that uh, everyone on the internet is default right and the default means male. male and that if you want people to believe that you are actually a girl or a woman on the internet and have them actually believe this, you have to post a picture of your tits. Ironically, the internet is where you can find the most accessible pictures of tits. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's that Like, if cats. there's anywhere I'm looking for tits or cats, it's the internet, <laughs> yeah. you know? Tits yeah. or kitties. I think it also has to do with when we talk about, um, like, why, why, does this, why does this even happen? And, and this idea of, oh, well, I'm a white man, and so I like games, and so everyone else that likes games is a white man, and that's just it, because that's the only way it can be. I think it's more than that, though. I think it's not just that, you know, it's white men who like games, it's non-white men don't like games, and particularly non-white men don't like me, because Mm. of my loser hobbies, because of my nerdiness, because of my social awkwardness. People who are like that don't like me anyway, so screw them. I'm better than them. I can do whatever I want to them. I can say whatever I want to them because they are not part of my tribe. They're not part of my in-group. They're not part of this thing. It's been the one thing that's given me acceptance and a sense of community in all my life. So I have to defend that. These patriarchal ideas about what you are supposed to be as a person in that position. If you don't have a girlfriend, you're nothing. If you're not, you know, physically powerful and ready for violence at a moment's notice, you're nothing. You're a loser. Um... I think that a lot of boys and men wind up internalizing that and it becomes this terror that you know, if they're not seen to be dominant and powerful and on top of things in this respect, on top of that food chain, 
then they are, will suffer a kind of social death. And so they defend their right to do these awful things as they would defend their lives. And similarly, they defend those of their tribe as though they were defending the lives of their own family. Mm -hmm. And I, I have this, my hope is that by taking that stuff apart, by saying that, no, it is okay to cry. It is okay to not have a girlfriend right now or a boyfriend or whatever. You know, it's okay to not be dominant, to not be in charge, to not be all of these things that a quote, real man is supposed to be. It's fine. And you can still be who you are. And if that fear is taken out, if the sting is taken out of that, I think we would see a lot less of this, especially in these communities of hobbies, light games, where people feel isolated and alone and disrespected and rejected by society at large. I think that's true. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that it's like, not to say that people are justified for doing these things, no, but never. there's an understanding of like, these people have come from this and that is why they feel this. Mm -hmm. And so I think the fix for it really is saying to those people, like you're saying, like, that's okay. It's okay. But you don't have to put this on other people. You just need to like realize that it's okay that you feel that way. Like when I was, when I was a teenager, um, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't fit in with what was expected for like a 12 year old girl. Like I wasn't very good at fashion and I wasn't slender and I wasn't good at sports and yada, 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 yada. So I didn't fit in with that stuff and I had an interest in sort of like typically nerd culture things. So I wanted to be a part of that group. But in order to fit in with what constituted nerd culture in my tiny southwestern Ontario town, I had to be one of the guys, all capitals. And I like as as, you know, trying to socialize with the group that I wanted to be with, I totally participated in that stuff. I actively said that I, you know, wasn't a feminist and feminists were stupid and I, you know, didn't I don't know, I contributed to all of those terrible jokes and often was the first one making them because I felt the need to prove that I could fit in and I could be one of the guys. And it wasn't until I got older and sort of realized the the implications of all of that stuff and, this, and the things that I was saying about myself and about other women who I knew when I was saying that kind of stuff. And, you know, I still participate in the same activities. I'm just an advocate for the other side. And it's like, I'm lucky in that I have a supportive social friend group and I don't feel the need to, I no longer feel as though I'm, you know, justifying my inability to participate in like mainstream, you know, high school girl culture. Like I don't feel the need to fit in with that anymore. And I also don't feel the need to assert my dominance in the nerd culture stream. But I think like, and maybe, maybe you two can, can like confirm, but if I were, if I were a 12 year old dude now and my options were be a part of mainstream culture. So like jock, you know, toxic masculine, blah, 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 or cognizant of the fact that your privilege makes you do shitty things sometimes and feel shitty about having privilege. Like one group of people is telling you that you should feel shitty for being a white man. And then a third group of people is telling you that exactly what you're doing is totally cool and that you deserve to like have all the girls and have all the tits and all the kitties. Like, <laughs> if, of course you're going to want to be a part of that third group. Like yeah. I don't, I don't fit in with the first. The other one makes me feel shitty. And the third group tells me that I'm great just the way I am. Like, yeah, I don't want to justify it, but I don't know. Is that the draw? Like, is that where we're coming from here? To me, I feel like it's more to do with peer pressure than with making a conscious choice. Yeah. But I mean, like, as it's not a conscious choice, but like, it's sort of the result of the pressures that you're yeah. feeling, you know, when you're like, oh, this group gets me. The MRAs get me. Yeah. 
Right. Mm -hmm. What's belonging worth? How much should I... No, that's so tough. I, I mean, I, I think the other, the sort of other, other way you can assert that, easier for grown-ups than 12-year-olds, I, I would guess, um, but you can sort of talk to kids about about privilege, and there are some really great ways to talk to kids about privilege using using analogies that are uh, a little more zoomed in. You know, a cyclist in traffic is a great, great uh, paradigm to talk about privilege in. But if you can talk about privilege that way and, and convey to kids the idea that there's something you can do with privilege and it's, you know, dismantle the structures that are privilege or or use your privilege to to be the person that speaks up so yes. that the most vulnerable person in the room doesn't feel like they're going under the wheels of the bus uh, when they speak up. Be the person who can speak up from that place of power. I think the more you the more everybody looks at those at those structures of which group am I in and goes, the answer is those divisions are unhelpful. Let's take them apart. Let's actively seek to be inclusive and, mm -hmm. and break up those groups. Mm -hmm. And you can teach kids about that too. Yeah. Um, Fred Rogers uh, once uh, was asked about how you help deal, how to help, help the small children deal with terrible uh, situations like plane crashes or seeing pictures of 9-11 on the television. He said, look for the helpers. You know, mm -hmm. Tell the kids to look. There, there will be people there who are helping. Uh, whether it's firefighters or emergency response teams, whatever, there's always helpers. Look for them. Um, and when you're talking to kids uh, about this sort of situation, you can talk about being the helper. Yep. As you say, being the one who says, no, that's not okay. Mm -hmm. What you did, that that just hurt someone. Mm -hmm. I think in, in our community, we have a hard time being helpers sometimes because we have we have been the person who's been ostracized. Yes. Like being, you know, a nerd in grade nine, I was like, man, I don't fit in anywhere and I want to fit in. So as being the person who's been ostracized, you don't want to draw attention to yourself in a way that could ostracize you. And you'd also don't want to subject someone else who's a part of your tribe to that. You don't want to say like, look, dude, you're being the missing stare right now and you have to stop sucking at life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, missing stare? Yeah. Um, okay. So this is a, this is something that uh, has been written about on the provocacy and it's uh the idea that sort of picture picture friend groups like uh, a staircase um, and or like a house, and then in the house there's this like really shitty staircase that's like maybe it's got like uranium on it, and the third step is gone, and if you step through it, you'll like fall into another dimension and die terribly. And everyone who lives in the house, <laughs> everyone who lives in the house, constantly justifies this staircase because it's part of the house and it's been around forever and. Everyone loves it, and the staircase makes really good guacamole. I don't know. Like, they're <laughs> constantly... It's a really weird house. <laughs> it's a great house. So everyone's justifying the staircase's existence and, and not fixing it because that would hurt the staircase and mean that other people are also responsible for their behavior. Now we're just going to shift right out of this metaphor because I'm ruining it. But the idea is that people often justify the bad behavior of someone in their friend group They because they're just used to it and... It's easier to sort of justify it and do a workaround and jump over that missing stair than it is to fix it. And fixing it can mean making your friend feel bad about themselves and, you know, maybe causing a like drama in the friend group. But it's important to note that the drama was already there in the friend group because your friend was already doing bad stuff. So we have this weird like reverse onus thing where we put the drama on the person pointing out the drama instead of the person who's creating the drama mm -hmm. by doing it, you know? I also think it's easier to deal with the problem when it's 
somebody else's problem. Mm-hmm. Right. So I always find, and I think that's something that we all need to, we all need to be the helpers more. And we all need to be that person that points out, you know, sometimes the flaws in the stairs and fixes the stairs mm-hmm. because, because, um, it's not necessarily about yourself. It's about these other people. And I always have trouble standing up for myself in situations, um, and saying that I'm worth more than this and stuff like that. But I have no problem when it comes to other people. I've never been in a situation where somebody has been physically or verbally abused that I can think of where I haven't tried to at least do something. Um, whether that be uh, times when I've seen people being harassed on the street and literally stood up and been like, you can't do that. This is These people have a right to do whatever they're doing, whether it be two men kissing on the street or whether it be, you know, someone, uh, who's, who's like with their child and their child is maybe not the same race as them or any of these things. Like there's no, you have no right to harass someone on the street. Mm -hmm. Um, but for some reason it's, it's hard. And I think that kids would also probably understand that it's hard for you to do it for yourself, but it's super easy to do it for other people. As soon as you go like, that's somebody in trouble. It should be easy for us to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think the other thing that when we get back to to talking about why do these things happen, it's almost this it's almost this idea of this mob mentality where we all kind of put our heads down because that's easier. And mm-hmm. I think we all just need to remind each other sometimes that we need to be there for each other and we need to be the person to say, no, that's not okay because. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that because. Well, and I think it's that's it's in, I think we should be defending everybody with those same things. Mm-hmm. When we talk about, you know, defending the women in our friend groups who experience harassment, we can also talk about the men in our friend groups who experience like negative comments for quote unquote behaving like a woman. Right. Like mm-hmm. when you when I have a friend who is sad about something and another friend is like, hey, don't be a pussy. Like for one, I call them out for using the word pussy because that fills <laughs> me with rage. And for two, I'm like, it's okay to feel emotions. And if you want to live in a world where I don't know. I think a lot of men's rights activists are talking about like, you know, you don't you why do I always have to pay for dinner and why do I always have to not get custody and why can't I be sad and why do women want strong men blah blah blah. It's we can combat that stuff too by yeah. calling out the shitty behavior of shitty people. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, the bad behavior of good people too. You Absolutely. know, you can have a good person who just does stupid shit sometimes. And even in you know if if you're playing an intense game, then there's probably going to be some trash talking. Mm-hmm. And if things get involved, and, and and we hope they will be because it's exciting, sometimes people might find themselves crossing a line and not realize it until it's after them, until it's out of their mouth, or maybe not even realize it at all mm-hmm. until somebody points out, uh, "Dude, it's not okay to say that," mm-hmm. or uh, you know, "Lady, you know, saying that's not really on." Mm-hmm. I think Guilty. It, yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's also a problem when we talk about the fact that then, you know, we kind of. We do a disservice to somebody when we don't do that for them. Yeah. We don't say to someone yeah. like, whoa, maybe we need to rein that back in a minute. Or like, let's examine why that's made so-and-so feel like poo. You know, and it doesn't always have to like halt everything. Sometimes it can just be a side like, whoa, watch the ableism. Back to what we were doing. Yeah. You know? Are exactly. you sure you meant to use that word? Yeah. yeah. It's often the thing yeah. to say. And it's, yes. I love like continuing the rest of the conversation in a productive, interesting way while the person who said the bad thing is sitting there kind of blinking like, oh, and they're kind of like folding in on themselves because they realize they said something not great. You know? Yeah. 
Maybe that wasn't a good choice of words there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to I wanted to challenge the choice of wording in the title because I think that terrorism is just like a spooky buzzword. But I think the importance of justifying it as like these are acts that people do to prevent a certain group of people from doing or participating in a thing. And whether that's conscious or unconscious, the problem the the issue is both with the people who are perpetrating the behavior and the people who are standing by and allowing it to happen. And I don't I would like to move beyond saying that like all white men are terrible, but you always have to justify I don't think anybody ever said that. Well that's that's <laughs> what I'm saying is that I want to make sure that that's it's like so clear that that's not what's yeah. being said, you know? Because it's not it's if we can if we can attack the behavior and not the person. Yeah. That's the ideal for me. A big part of this because so many dudes get defensive when they mm-hmm. see a title like that. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand if you're not doing this sort of thing, it's not talking about you. Mm-hmm. But that if you're not standing up to it when you see it, it's sort of still talking to you. It's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's true. If it's and if it gets you and I thinking about like, am I a, am, am I you know part of the problem by being a bystander? Then maybe should I, that, should I be speaking up? Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's I agree. It's a tough title. Mm-hmm. It's a tricky word. But I, I think the question, am I part of the problem by being a bystander, is what I hope that our audience will really take away from mm-hmm. this. Um, both, you know understanding that these stories are true and real and they happen, that bystanders are part of the problem, and that, of course, the people perpetrating these things are part of the problem. But I hope that we can have a community that is progressive. And there are so many members of this community who are progressive. This has been a pretty difficult series to record. I'd like to thank all of you in the audience for bearing with us and for for listening to this stuff. It's not easy to hear it, but there's no question that whether you call it terrorism or not, there is a problem here, and it's up to us to to deal with it. Thank you all for listening. Scott, Coco, Amanda, thank you so much for having this conversation with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This next cast is produced by P.T. Douglas. Music is provided by Ben Sound. The opinions expressed on the show belong to the people in it and not the company behind it. And thank you all for listening. <laughs>